This is Utano Public Health Chat with your host Fiona. And today I am excited to host another Zimbabwean <laughs> like me. And uh, we're going to hear about their journey and career in public health. Actually, so with this guest, um, I've been getting questions around like, where do I come up with these guests and how do we land here? I feel like Twitter is probably the answer to a lot of my guests because I spend way too much of time there. But also I think with today's guest, I've also, we were part of the same program that actually created, you know, avenues and opportunities for us to be able to study in the U.S., the United States Achievers Program. So we're both graduates of that program and both alumni. So I feel like our networks have always kind of crossed paths and we've known each other in that manner. And then I think I also had them as a panelist 2021, when I hosted a space, I think both spaces, I think we were in both spaces, the one about what is public health, and then the other one where we did a tech and data. I'm not sure if you're on that. Yeah, you were when we talked about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you have already been a panelist, and I've been privy to some of your amazing work. So I then thought it would be perfect, of course, to have and do kind of like a deep dive in a full episode to really talk about like their work, what brought them here and what they like. So without rambling too much, I'm just going to let um, Will introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself. And thank you so much for taking the time for being here. Perfect. Thank you, Fiona, for having me on your podcast. Um, you're doing really amazing work. So my name is Will Moyo. I am a bioengineer by profession. I currently live and work in Malawi, uh, working with the RISE 360 Institute for Global Health Technologies. I manage two design studios here at the Malawi University of Business and Applied Sciences and the Malawi University of Science and Technology. And so I work with students and faculty to implement invention education and also to do some pre-service training of biomedical engineers, both on the technician uh, level and the degree level as well, um, to just train them on the equipment that the organization NEST360 provides to hospitals throughout Africa. Um, and we work with them, we work with students to ensure that they can repair, also understand how to use these devices that are found in a hospital setting. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. I'm always in awe. Like, even when I know what people do, <laughs> whenever they describe it, I'm always like, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, no, but then, thank you for the introduction. I already, as always, have a couple of follow-ups there, but a couple of things that I think we'll want to unpack later in the episode. You mentioned design studios, so I feel like I want to I wanna get into that. Because the word design has been coming up in my life in ways that I never imagined. <laughs> so we can, what is a design studio and all of that? I also found okay. use of the term, uh, you mentioned intervention education is that what you call invention um invention education yes yo listen oh my gosh this is giving all kind of vibes <laughs> right that's the first image that came into mind you know in black panther that part where i think he was showing who was he showing around like where they were doing the designs and trying to be like you know oh yes 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 that's like in Shuri's lab exactly so that's what I thought of when you said invention education and then also I think we'll get into this as well but it's really interesting to see a combination of like education and public health um thinking about like how you're integrating those two and 
obviously I've been I love talking about like stakeholders and different types of groups of people that you work with uh, so we'll get into those later but maybe to start I really want to hear like you said you're a bioengineer let's start there what is a bioengineer and what does a bioengineer do and maybe you could also then tell us what kind of training you received to become a bioengineer Okay, perfect. So bioengineers um, do a variety of things, but I'll, I'll, I'll focus on what I do as a bioengineer. So firstly, for my training, I was trained under the mechanical engineering track. So what that basically means is um, you, you take all the classes that a mechanical engineer would take. And then on top of those classes, you take a number of cellular and tissue engineering classes and labs to learn how to apply those skills from mechanical engineering in tissue and cellular engineering, and also a number of skills from biology as well. So I have worked in like different industries, but all under sort of like the same idea of health and research. So firstly, um, I worked in cancer research, we were looking at how blood performs in the devices we use to try and find tumor cells in people's blood. Um, and then I worked also in robotics, designing like a glove for people who've had um, neuro injuries, so like stroke, to help them regain function of, of their hand and be able to do activities of daily living um, and also um, just to, to recover from their stroke as well. And so... I think, yeah, that sort of covers what I do as a bioengineer, but some other bioengineers work, took the, the electrical engineering track and they have more skills in like the electrical side of things. Some are like quality, quality like um, engineers. You can do a whole lot of, of things. Some are consultants. Yeah, I could go on. Okay, so it sounds like engineering is kind of like a, you can you can make with it like what you want, basically. It's like a skills-based training and then you kind of like, you can then take different types of tracks afterwards, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. You can apply your skills in so many different fields. Yeah. Which is also what makes it interesting because once you feel like you're bored in one field, you can com move mm -hmm. completely, but still be familiar with like the new field you choose. Nice. Okay. And for you personally, have you always wanted to be a bioengineer? Um, no, I've always wanted to be a medical doctor and from there, like move on to pathology. I think that's sort of like what oh, I'm wow. interested in. I've always been interested in, but you know, just like the, the time it takes to become a pathologist requires a lot of money, uh, which I do not have, but I think I've always been interested in the human body, how mm. it functions, what works. So I feel like I haven't strayed too far away from that. Right. Okay. So you were always interested, I guess, in health and the human body and basically the biology part. And then yep. you then kind of like decided to explore that by doing engineering training and then became a bioengineer. Absolutely. <laughs> <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. So you have a bachelor's degree in engineering. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have a, what is it called? A bachelor of science in, in engineering sciences. Ooh. Okay, that sounds so hot. <laughs> I'm just like the last. It's a lot of fun as well. Talk too. This is fart. <laughs> that's that's my max right there. Yeah, caps there, and I've been in the world of statistics ever since. Um, no, but like that's really cool to hear that. Like 
how, what I guess basically what led you to bioengineering and like what that looks like or at least what in the different roles you mentioned the cancer research and then doing the robotics which is again very futuristic in my head <laughs> still giving all kinds of vibes um using your training so maybe let's can you now maybe talk a little bit about the work you said you work with Rice360? Can you tell us a little bit about like the work that you're doing now or any fun or cool project? You mentioned that you managed to design studios. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that kind of work? Yeah, so um, the design studios are spaces for innovation, ideation, and prototyping. So essentially, students come in with ideas that they have, like, I want to build a pulse oximeter, right? So um, that student might have zero skills in electronics, in the use of sensors. So the design studio is a space where they come in, we can teach them some skills in electronics, you know, circuits, how sensors work what sensors they, they have access to. We have like a number of different types of equipment from 3D printers, laser cutters, computers, like CNC mills, and students are open, are welcome to use to use that equipment. The other thing that we do is we work with the Faculty of Engineering at each of the two institutions in Malawi, where they essentially use the design studio for their own research as faculty members, but also to send students to conduct like simple projects on concepts they being taught in class so it's a really it's a collaborative effort between the institutions and rise 360 to try and push invention education which is essentially you know a teacher facilitated type of education you know like for many people engineering education just is them is the teacher talking to them and then you know they learn the concept through either video or lecture notes, right? Um, And we're trying to move that away from that and really have students actually prototype create their own devices and learn like the actual the actual skill rather than just learning it from hearing it, but like learn by doing if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So like a more practical hands-on approach to learning engineering. Yes. Wow. Yeah, perfect. And we call it um active learning. Um, where, you know, it's student-centered, not lecture-centered. And it's just giving students experience with different types of tools that they will have to use in their work as entrepreneurs or in whatever field they they decide to pursue. Okay. And you mentioned that sometimes some of these students don't necessarily have this, like, engineering background. So what kind of students are open to be part of these design studios? So at the moment, um, all engineering students are welcome to the design studio and any Uh student in any other um, in any other program. Right. We want to we don't want to limit um, the design studio just to engineering students because the whole goal is to improve health outcomes. Right. And we do Uh that by looking at some some community-centered solutions, right? You everyone comes from a community with, with certain problems. And they have ideas on how to solve those problems based off of what they think their community can afford, based off like the context in which their community exists. Is there enough water around? Is there electricity? You know, sort of like what access do they have to certain materials? So you always want to like have community-centered solutions. So if we train everyone in the community in which we're in, then there's more likelihood for success. So the design studios are just not only limited to the students, they're also open to like community members as well that's pretty cool and correct me if I'm wrong rice rice is a it's a university right based in the U.S. 
Yes, yeah. So right. Rice University is, yeah, is a, US, is a U.S. university based in Texas. And uh-huh. the Rice 360 Institute for Global Health Technologies is an institute within that university that is focused on global health technologies um, worldwide. Okay, so it's, um, so this is basically a university-university partnership, right? Yes. Perfect. Wow, that is nice. That is so cool. Yeah. And it's also nice because it's kind of like a... a, a been going in this rabbit hole of like terminology and like I know like you know sub-Saharan Africa so same thing but also like I don't like sub-Saharan Africa I also don't like global north global south but I do think it's a good example of a global north global south collaboration and it sounds like you're doing pretty Absolutely. work and I like that you mentioned that community people members of the community are also open to come use the design studios as well so what does that look like for you in your day-to-day like are you in this studio's teaching? Yeah, so I do a number of things. So firstly, I will host workshops. We have a schedule each month that comes out on like what workshops are we doing? So like maybe introduction Mm -hmm. to 2D design and laser cutting, introduction to 3D printing, introduction to like circuit board printing. Um, So I will host some of those workshops, like different people on the design studio team host workshops. And then um, we have different projects as well going on that we call design studio project. So we work in partnership with some of our clinical partners or like community partners to identify a project that the entire design studio team will work on for the year or for however long it takes to solve that project so we'll work on that and then I work with students as well who are working on their individual projects right to connect them to stakeholders clinicians if it's like a a health related project and then we also host a number of internships in the design studio so we currently have a biomedical internship going on where we've selected 10 students who are working in groups of three to solve like a biomedical problem. So we connect them with the Ministry of Health, nurses, doctors, and potential users as well, just so that they gain more training in, in what it means to be a biomedical um, engineer who's interested in creating um, medical devices. Wow, that's so cool. Where was this when I was 16? <laughs> <laughs> what we're trying to work towards is like, right? oh, I wish I had X, Y, Z when I was in school, right? And, right, and then you try to recreate that. And then, like, I really yeah. like, I mean, this doesn't only apply for engineering, where you talked about the active versus, like, student-based learning. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, personally, I don't do well with lectures. Like, yep. yeah, I mean, not diagnosed, but definitely, like, attention span is also (laughs) progressively worse with the years with social media and all of these things but it's just never been a really good mode of like learning to just have somebody stand in front of like 50 100 200 people and talk and I think Mm -hmm. it's probably more pronounced in 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 kind of like a hands-on field like engineering so it's cool that it's cool to see that it's some of these things that we, you know, would constantly rant about when we're an undergrad or wherever, um, and now being kind of like implemented through these design studios. So that's pretty amazing work and definitely cutting edge. And I wonder who else is doing this kind of work, but I'm thinking of that as well. Like, where was this when I was 16? And like, who else is doing this kind of work? <laughs> who funds this? Like, where does the funding come to do such cool and amazing work? Yeah, so for us, we have an, a different number of funding streams. We have funding from NEST, NEST 360, which RISE is a part of. 
So uh, it's NIST 360 is the Newborn Essential Solutions and Technologies. It's an alliance of, of about 16 organizations uh, at different universities and all of that. Yeah. And then we also have funding from the Lemelson Foundation. And they are very big about invention education, starting even from the grades, like high school age. Um, so they fund some of our work. And then more recently, we've had some funding from the UNDP that's sort of interested in developing solutions, local solutions to local problems. So they fund um, some of the work that we do. Nice. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, because I can imagine even, okay, the only thing I can, I actually know of what you said when you were giving examples of your workshop, I was like, okay, I know 3D printing. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned like laser cutting, like those all sound like their equipment, you know, you would need a lab that actually has the equipment, right, to, to, to get these things. Yes. And yeah, I, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty cool that there are other people who are invested in this, like some of the foundations, multilaterals, and like in a different bunch of stakeholders, which is pretty cool. Um, I think I mentioned this to you before, how I like, I, I've, I've come across Nest in my work. Because at that point, I think 2019 and 2020 was doing a lot of work where we're thinking about neonatal health outcomes, and specifically Zambia at the time, and just trying to figure out how do we lower it, and then going back to like we need incubators and we need you know yeah. oxygen access for the babies when they're born in their first week or whatever. So yeah, Nest is definitely a key player in the field, and it's cool to see that they are thinking about this beyond just like you know at the point of care, but even before that, who are we training um, yeah, to be yeah, able absolutely. to that care? And do they have yeah, them? Yeah, I really like NEST as an organization and the framework which it uses to work. So what we do as well with the design studios with NEST is what we've started establishing what we're calling um, skills labs. And essentially mm. what, what's in there are all the devices that NEST provides to all the hospitals. And they're in the university setting so that we can train like biomedical um, engineering students so that they, you know, like they see the device before they actually, you know, go to a hospital and work so that they know how to operate the device, how to troubleshoot, how to repair. And then something that we're also helping them think through is then how to make your own devices like that, that are Malawi made, um, because everything, you know, in Malawi is outsourced or donated by international partners. And it makes, it, it, there's a number of problems with that, because firstly, you know, the supply chain issues that we've experienced with COVID, but also like, you know, the, the, the Malawi environment is different. We have different issues with electricity access, um, just like the climate is different. So the longevity of the devices is not the same in the Malawi environment. So it's really important that Malawi starts to like make its own devices. And I think it'll just also lead to improved health outcomes because if it's locally made, locally manufactured, it'll be a little bit more affordable and also readily available. And we can save many, many more lives with that. Wow, Malawi made. Oh my God, that'd be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So and it really nice. starts at that point of getting people to think of like, what already exists in the field? Mm. Um, what are the what, what's the space for innovation for us? And how do you actually go about the engineering design process? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. No, I definitely like. Yeah, I agree with all the things you're saying. The questions; those are really big, important questions, honestly. And I feel like I don't know. I feel like there's. A, I mean, there's a lot of factors to why we're where we are. But I also find that it's. You know, I don't know whether it's like poverty. I don't know what it is, but I feel like sometimes there's very little space 
very little support to like mm-hmm. think. Invent. Like when you say ideation, right? Yeah. There's just it's really difficult to sell it to the even government or funders because it's like, okay, people are dying in the hospital now. Right. Like that's an emergency. Why should we fund people to innovate? Because there's also a lot of failure involved in like innovation. Mm-hmm. Why should we essentially fund you to fail a number of times? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to sell. But if we don't do that, then we're going to be stuck in that cycle where what we always need, like, funding comes the for problem emerging. and we haven't thought yeah. it through or come. It's like kind of like exactly. what happened when COVID broke, right? And it was like, we need a vaccine. And it's like, how to mm-hmm. make vaccine? And like that, right? The reason we're able to get the vaccine as soon as we did so quickly. Right, yeah. was because people had already been doing research yeah. looking at um what are they called mRNA vaccines right and that kind of like jumping onto that pre-ideated pre-innovation exactly yeah maximizing on it yeah. but like especially in the African context it, it does always I always feel like sometimes in health even outside of health like sometimes like you're saying we have almost like bread and butter issues kind of I think exactly. that's what brought up is like Yes, we would want to get to a point where every baby has an incubator that has oxygen, that is, mm-hmm. that is automating temperature and all of that. But mm-hmm. we don't even have enough nurse, enough general nurses to begin with, right? Or Absolutely. Yeah. we don't mm-hmm. even have the space. I think we I've been in conversations where it's like, including the health workforce, we don't even have the physical space for the NICU mm-hmm. unit. So where are those yeah. incubators going to go? We need to build yeah. Right, and building takes money. So sometimes I feel like those are kind of like at least the immediate barriers and like challenges I think of when I think about like how do we innovate? And like I like that's why I like when you mentioned the Malawi for like made in Malawi kind of concept because it's like Mm -hmm. how do we make solutions for our problems in a way that like is adaptive to us, like to the populations that we serve, right? Absolutely. All these equipments that you mentioned that tend to be like donated or come from outside might not necessarily work for climates, for rural setting, for so many Mm -hmm. other things that will for power cuts, right? Which happen in a lot of countries as well. Yeah, but that that is also cool. So maybe I guess going with that same train of thought, can you maybe highlight what is your favorite thing about the work that you do either right now or just like being a bioengineer and working in public health? What about it is, what is the favorite highlight, your key things or top favorite things about doing the work that you do? Oh, I think uh, for me, the internships are the highlight of my, of, of my experience so far because we're really taking students from zero to mm-hmm. them understanding the engineering design process. So um, we work with students normally who have never prototyped, who have never made anything um, in their lives, but are really interested in being trained to be biomedical engineers. And we take them through like a 12-week program where they, and it's really intensive. They are working with stakeholders. They have to design like a solution to something. And we've had, I have, well, in my role, I've, I've experienced like three years of internships. And those students have used some of the devices that they've developed during the internship programs and have gone on to win international competitions. So for me, it's like validation that the work we're doing is important. There's impact and also that we can compete, you know, on the international stage. So imagine like a student from Mast in Malawi 
Malawi competing with the students from Harvard and they win that competition. It's like, okay, the, you're really like, you, you have the fundamentals right and just like keep doing what you're doing essentially. Right, it's almost kind of like a, a proof of concept, right? It really kind of affirms you that the work you're doing, like not only like matters, I think you already know that, but it kind of like is an external validation, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that the solutions we're designing are not just relevant for Malawi, but they're relevant like worldwide. Everyone is interested in reducing the cost of devices, in making devices as simple as possible so that it's easier to train clinicians and, and biomedical engineers on. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that I, I think I, I mean, I don't do this work, but I feel happy just hearing about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure it, this is definitely a highlight for you as well. And um, I guess, yeah, thinking of that as well, when you, you mentioned, wow, you, you're right, people, it's expensive. That's why I asked, like, who's funding this? Because it sounds <laughs> so, like I said, it's giving all kinds, it's giving like futuristic and like ideal. And it's like, how, how do we... How do you fund this? How do you make this sustainable? But maybe before yeah. we get to like challenges and barriers and all of that, let's talk about like, okay, so you talked about what you like about the work that you do and how you end up doing it. Thinking of that, I liked you mentioned earlier that the you're working with the goal of like improving health outcomes, right? That's like kind mm-hmm. of like the ultimate impact factor. And thinking of that and thinking of your training and the work that you do, how would you define public health for yourself? Or like, what does public health mean to you? Ooh, that is such a... a, 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 a. I know, I always have to like pull a pause. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was listening to your interview with uh, Sia here, and I really like the metaphor that he used of public health being an elephant right. and everyone... Um, uh, everyone like taking parts of that elephant and trying to solve it. So for me, it includes so many things, education, mm-hmm. disease prevention, disease mm-hmm. surveillance, monitoring, analysis. I think that's how I would, I would, I would define it. I would even argue that like almost everything falls under public health, right? Mm-hmm. Like even things that we sometimes don't think are public health are really actually very much interconnected to public health. Right. Especially with the work that you do when you think of like, I never, I, I won't lie, right? Like I say, the, the most I did was calculus too. And like <laughs> even advanced level in Zim, like after a form four, I knew like I was definitely going to be doing math, bio and chemistry. It was never going to be the same. <laughs> as far as like technical, anything like physical, I was just like my brain can't fathom and I'm just going <laughs> to stick with the biology of it. But like, yep. And then, like, imagine, this is, like, when did I do high school, right? Like, 12 years ago. And then now, mm-hmm. we're after public health training, coming back and doing health workforce planning and being in rooms where we're like, yes, we can train X amount of doctors and nurses, but we don't have incubators. Guess what? The babies are still mm-hmm. dying, right? So coming back and being yeah. faced with issues related to device devices, medical devices and access. And even now in the work that I do in diagnostics, it's still, it's still relevant mm-hmm. when you think about how we're testing people, what kind of tools are available, what machines are yep. we designing and all of that. For me, that's still, that's still very much, you're right. Everything, everything can be public health. If you think hard enough, yeah. about it, if you think long enough, if you connected fair enough, it is public health. And for me, that's my favorite thing about the field of public health is like, mm-hmm. 
you know, anyone who's looking to kind of like quote-unquote do, do good or give back or, or work in the field where they they get to see their impact on populations, it's definitely mm. a go-to. Uh, that's why I definitely wanted to have you on this episode because it's like, I need to know. I need all my engineering folks to know <laughs> that they can be co-workers with me. And do <laughs> Just like bring everybody to the dark side. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, it's multiple things. You write the surveillance, the analysis, the education. And I really, yeah, I just, I guess, never thought about that, the, the, the education piece at least in the way that the partnership you described in Malawi is set up. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to have to sleep on that one and really think about like, <laughs> what would that look in Zim? What would that look like in Zambia? What would that look like in other countries and then maybe in other programs as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we, we don't prioritize the education aspect of it because, you know, we're all just working. I think a lot of people, especially in low resource countries are working under emergency conditions. Mm. Um, so we just put um, education at the back burner and be like, when we have money, when we have money. But then it also means that you have to invest more money in training your clinicians, your engineers who are working sort of like face-to-face with patients and devices when you know you could have spent that money during their education. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a lot. <laughs> You're right. So investing in education is also investing in the health of our people. You're absolutely, absolutely. Right about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're right. Sometimes I think we talked about this in the episode with Nana around, like, it's like that we're fighting fires. There's multiple fires. They're like fires in the pipeline and there's fires. <laughs> and it's like, sometimes yeah. the more, if we continue to only face the fires that are ahead of us, we'll keep coming back we'll keep coming back to this spot where we're just trying to to deal with things as they come and 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 really you're right that inventions and and thinking and design is what will like funding people to fail I liked that 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 statement but this idea of like funding people to think through things and try things out is really what will kind of like move us forward yeah yeah and and, you know like i i like to describe it like the same way you've said about fires that there are some issues like education that are not on fire at the moment but that you can sort of see the the um charcoal like the embers of the charcoal Mm -hmm. like it's like red right and the longer we leave it unattended it will burst into a fire as well so we might as well just attend to it now because what's the goal of training a biomedical engineer for four years and they've never interacted with any medical device and then they get a job in the hospital and they have to sort of attend to those devices in the hospital and fix them, right? It will take so much longer for them to figure out, right? Because they first have to figure out like the electronics, you know, like the actual mechanical, physical part of the device. And whilst all of that is happening, people are dying, right? But if they've seen it before, mm-hmm. they've worked with it before, they've been trained on that particular brand um, before, then they can, you know, rise to the occasion and fix a device very quickly and make sure that, you know, we save more lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, for bio, you say, okay, so you say four years, and I'm not, I don't know much about like engineering, and I know your training was in the U.S., but I'm curious for, have you, in Malawi, you mentioned two universities. I'm curious if you know with your work with Bryce 360, if there is biomedical engineering, I guess, if, so, if someone is listening right now and then they decide, I want to be a biomedical engineering, is it also offered in other countries? Um, which are the institutions that you, like you also work with in addition to the ones in Malawi? Oh, yeah. So the 
Design studios are in Ethiopia, Nigeria, Tanzania, Kenya, and Malawi so far. And we're just trying to spread the, mo the model um, worldwide. And in Nigeria, there's two at the University of Ibadan and the University of Lagos. Mm -hmm. um, and I think institutions have different number of years of training. But I would mm -hmm. say in general, like just for a regular degree, it will take four years. And then some institutions with an honors degree, it will take five years. And then a master's degree is usually like a year. And then you can mm -hmm. do PhD training, um, training as well. Um, there's like so many avenues, right? You can start as a diploma student, as a technician, and then move on to a degree, or you can go into the degree, the degree field directly. Okay. So you can start at any level. And okay, yep. it's in multiple countries. And like, what do you think? What who do you think makes a good biomedical engineer or in the students that you worked with within your internships, who like, who are the students who tend to do well, who tend to like catch on quickly to this concept? Ooh, I would, I think people who are just eager to learn more and uh -huh. who are interested in devices. Um, I think really that's like the only, the, I think those are the only characteristics, you know, and from that, you, you know, like if you're really eager, you just have to learn like your electronics, mm -hmm. um, the mechanics of how devices work in general. I think there's a lot of training in that. And then you also have to be someone who is self-motivated and really good with independent learning because there is so much that gets taught. You just have to follow up on your own and show initiative. You know, you have to be able to go up to clinicians and the engineers in hospitals and be like, can I, can I like, you know, be part of your team and like have an internship in your institution? You know, clinicians are very busy people. So if you don't take initiative, they won't approach you. That's all what I like to say to my students. Like clinicians are so busy. They are fighting so many fires. Mm -hmm. You have to show initiative and also like not take it personally when they, they deny some requests. Sometimes that's how they manage their, their, their boundaries. You just have to be willing to go to the next doctor to the next nurse and mm -hmm. ask the exact same question yep yeah no I remember we were collecting data for the butt work we literally had to go to the hospital and like as they were doing their rounds we were like with our little books and I'm like so how many doctors do you have exactly <laughs> no time for them to sit down they, they sit down they're not seeing a baby and that baby might die right so exactly we're yeah. collecting our data in as flexible <laughs> possible as so. right and i feel like with engineering we work very well with our calendars like schedule 2 p.m oh. to meet xyz and doctors are like mm. just come anytime when you come we'll figure out and you're like Right. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah, you just right. have to work, work around their schedules and yeah, be flexible. Yeah, no, no degree or whatever <laughs> it needs to be for that. <laughs> like learn on the job. That's very true. Yeah, um, which is kind of like yeah, I guess so. That goes into what I was going to ask around stakeholders. You you mentioned the faculty at the beginning, now you've talked about like clinicians. You also mentioned at some point that, that the, um, your students also get to, and even you mentioned like ministries of health as well. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in your work? Oh man, we, I think we are very lucky in Malawi in that the secretary of the Ministry of Health is also the one of our project PIs for NEST. So mm -hmm. we, we have a lot of access 
to them but you know like sometimes you're really asking structural issues in terms of like what does the system in Malawi look like right Mm -hmm. so um, if we want to know like what uh, medical devices are approved by the ministry for use in the Malawi hospitals we have to work with the ministry of health right and also understanding why those those devices are approved so for example they have specific brands of pulse oximeters that are approved for use in Malawi hospitals so we try to better understand like why like what is like who does the 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 design requirement specs who are the engineers on the ministry of health team who are advising the ministry of health on which devices and then like also what is the need right like how many incubators do you need um or like what devices don't you have in Malawi? I remember when COVID started, we learned that like in our central hospital here in Blantyre, there were only about five ventilators, right? So that's like sort of the information we get from the Ministry of Health. Yeah. Yeah. And which, so I work in diagnostics and testing. So not necessarily, I mean, we do work with devices and it just depends on the disease area, I guess. Right now, for example, mm-hmm. mostly COVID that I'm working with. So it's really just like the test, the antigen test, the PCR, mm-hmm. and things like that. And we've also even in, I've also done some work in TB. Is it the same for medical devices, like in general? Like, we, like for example, you mentioned that they're designed, let's say someone designs a pulse, pulse oximeter in your design studio or even in Malawi, mm-hmm. and then it gets approved. Do you have to involve WHO? Does WHO have a say in any of this? Or is it just like the countries that get to, de- to decide how to validate and like put put a, a medical device into into mainstream use yeah so um it, at the moment it's just the country that decides and each country uses what they call their own standards right so mm-hmm. there's there's a specific set of standards for let's say pulse oximeters that exist in Malawi and you go through the Malawi Bureau of Standards to make sure that and they will test your device against those standards right but the Like that's the ideal case scenario. But for many African countries, we don't have those standards. And so what will happen um, if Malawi doesn't have those standards, then you have to get standards from, let's say, South Africa that has standards for pulse oximeters. And you pay as the inventor, you pay for that process. Right. So now, like what I'm also interested in for my grad school work is like, how can countries take advantage of already existing networks such as SADAC, um, the African Mm. Union, and sort of like create standards for SADAC. Right. So any country in SADAC can just go to the static health division and say, can I have the the standards for pulse oximeters and the tests? And as an inventor, you don't have to sort of pay money because that becomes a barrier for many inventors who can't afford to pay for their own standards from other countries. No, absolutely. You're right. Yeah, that's exactly. I think that's where my brain was headed is like, how are we regulating this? And and, and then it's regulation at a national level. Is it like, yeah, I like this idea of like you're mentioning like maybe SADAC, maybe East Africa block, things like that could mm-hmm. have their own standard process. And that, yeah, and it's also interesting what you mentioned, it would also make it easier for designers. Yeah, absolutely. Because now like the cost is just prohibitive for innovators, especially people coming straight out of communities or from um, universities. Like they definitely can't afford to do the, the entire process on their own. Oh my gosh, yeah, there's so much to think about. So then government <laughs> will need to make it easier for us. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, even, so like, yeah, so I had, like, if I, 
want to design something, right? And it's going to mm-hmm. improve people. Like, I have to have the skills. I have to, yeah, even if I do believe that I can do it, I guess I need to have the skills and the training. And then mm-hmm. I also need, I guess, support, financial support to to put to make this happen. I need to have the equipment, try these things mm-hmm. out, to build out my innovation. And even once I, I, I have it, let's say I have a, what do you call it? A prototype? A prototype, yes. Right. I need to then test it against whatever national standards or regional standards mm-hmm. that may be there. And that's going to cost money. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah. I guess there's just so many steps. But I guess yeah. in line with that, maybe can you talk about like what are your like frustration points or like things that you find challenging in the work that you do now or places where you see that there could be more growth? Oh man, <laughs> where do I begin? <laughs> um, I think <laughs> I think government has to invest more in in education, and I think maybe perhaps how we present the reasons why they need to 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 invest more in education sometimes is not very clear, right? But like we're educating everyone, just comes from a teacher, but that sometimes is not very compelling. Um, I think also funding agencies should also really look in depthly at the type of education we're investing in, right? We really need engineers to be equipped with the skill that is required by the workforce and also um, just preparing people to to go, you know, the the solo route, um, entrepreneurship. There is definitely not enough jobs for everyone who is graduating, right? And so many talented young people are just at home sitting on their skills, right? So we need more internships, you know, many more pathways, that people can use their professional skills. I just don't think going into the workforce should be the only way. So we need funding in those areas. But I also think how we do education in, in, in the institutions, mainly like I will speak about Southern African institutions because those are the institutions I know. It's just not efficient. It's just not representative of what engineers should, should be doing, right? Procurement policies for universities are very outdated. You know, like, what do you mean a university can't purchase something online? Everything has to go up to tender. Like, it's 2022, right? So, like, that impedes. So imagine if we need an oxygen sensor for a prototype, right? We can't purchase it online. We have to go to tender. So like imagine the tender process is like a four-month process. And then that thing comes back and the price is inflated like three times so that the person who is, who is you know, winning the tender also gets like a, a certain profit. So it's just like issues like that. Um, I think we are failing young people just by not having organized systems and multiple pathways for, um, I'll talk about like IP, intellectual property. It's not really clear who who owns what, like what are the pathways for registering IP? What are the pathways for regulating devices? Like there's a single pathway for all these things, but that pathway is also, it's not very clear what that pathway is. Um, it's not very clearly documented. A lot of the agencies involved in regulation and IP and entrepreneurship have websites just for the sake of having websites, but there's no information on that website. There's no forms on those websites. You can't pay for anything online on their website so it's just like so many hurdles for young people who want to innovate and create devices yeah it sounds like because I was actually going to ask you what do you think is the reason things are like that but even just from the way you've described it now it also almost sounds like another at least for me it sounds like our governments need to catch up (laughs) exactly and really that's it right like 
even government departments are not online. Like the Ministry of Edu- of of Health Information, like um, sorry, the Ministry of Health. Like if you want information from them, you have to go physically to their office to just get a PDF of a report that was written. Right? Like why aren't like our records all online for like the past? 20 years, if that's possible, you know, like we, we really need to catch up. Like we are so behind in using technology and like using it if, if effectively. Yeah. And intellectual property. Oh, that's a whole other piece. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to protect, you need to protect these designers and you need to make, oh my God. Yeah. And then, yeah. And that's also, that also could be an avenue for income, right? Because if it's designed in Malawi and then it, it, it goes global, right? Uh, or is used by mm-hmm. even other regional counterparts or even within the continent, you know, and then every time they use it, you could get some kind of money from that as well. I think that could be a revenue generating stream and that could. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I feel like innovation and innovation education can pay for itself because you can offer certain services to industry, you know, to the community that can be paid for and it can like generate its own revenue. I'll give an example of the design studio. So at the start of the of the uh, pandemic, we couldn't get any PPE in the in, into the country because everyone was hoarding PPE, right? So mm-hmm. as a design studio, we started making face shields, um, the aprons, like personal protective equipment for the design studios. And we made like a lot of money from that and for that. And we used some of that to like sustain some of our, 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 our programs that we offer for free to students. So that there's like, it's not that these things are always going to require money, right? But there needs to be that initial investment of equipment by the institution or by the government since it's public universities to purchase that type of machinery that can allow studios or innovation labs to be self-sufficient. Oh, man. I just, I'm just like, I'm like, absolutely. I completely agree. <laughs> You're so right. Yes. And oh, that's so cool that you guys were making your own PPE and that was generating income. And that was also like a dual, like a win-win situation. It's like, Absolutely. Yeah. I think we made over like 10,000 US dollars. And for us, that's like a lot of money in terms of what we can do in for programming. Yeah. They can fund an internship, they can find a device, they can fund a, you know. Purchase computers. Yeah. That's want, for us, 10,000 win the lottery, a lot Will, don't worry. I, I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Utano Public Health Trust Foundation, and don't worry, I'm I'm ready. <laughs> I will fund all these education programs. Um, you're right. At the heart of it is education, and and like and I, I encountered this as well in health workforce planning, where I think generally things that are more systemic or long term tend to fall through the cracks because it's hard for people to even. Yes, I get the like we're fighting fires, you know, bread and butter mm. issues. But I, I think even when there's no COVID, even when there is no monkeypox or pandemic that we are all, mm-hmm. you know, I think generally we tend to forget the things that are not in front of our faces. And education feels like one of those things, even education in-house. Because mm-hmm. you don't get to see the value of a biomedical engineer until they graduate and they're working. And that's when you're like, oh, it would be nice to have so many of these people, right? But by then exactly. you're already you know, down kind of like the track. So yep. it's definitely something that we kind of need to keep advocating for and, and, and making noise about, like definitely saying things like that, like designing our own PPEs, our own POX limiters has cost us this. It was a, this much of an investment, but it brought us this in the long term. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. important for other people 
to continue investing in this. So no, I think it's great that you're able to come here and share that story uh, so that other people can hear it as well. Thanks, um, Fiona. Yeah. yeah, no, that's great. Um, I guess now that we're like wrapping up, maybe you could talk a little bit about, I think you already, you talked a little bit about skills. You, you mentioned that like people need to take initiative, be adaptive, be flexible, working with different types of stakeholders comes with the work. So maybe we could end with, no, actually, no, I, I have some sauce. I want a little bit more sauce So maybe can you first tell me, what do you know now about the field that you work in that you wish you had known or understood earlier? Oh man, maybe personally that there's only so much as an individual that you can do. And it's better that you focus on a number of projects and sustain those projects than try to do everything because you will become burnt out and not even do well at anything at all. Um, the project, the problems uh, are so vast, so wide, so different. And some have existed before I even existed. So just taking on a few things at a time, I think is very important to ensure that and seeing them through so that there's sustainability. Um, and also, I think uh, what I have learned as an, as an engineer is that, you know, we like to make complex things because, you know, we, we, we know how things work. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are looking mm-hmm. for very simple, very simple solutions. And it's so important to get people on board very early in the design process. Yes, especially the, oh my God, all of that. I, I definitely, I think there's even the episode, there's an episode with Nana where I was just like, oh my God, this is also a problem. <gasps> but this is also a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you over-engineer things and like it, it only works when engineers work with it, when it's something that's that's designed for clinicians. So it's like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. There's so many, there's so much work to be done. And sometimes that can Absolutely. be overwhelming as well. So just like baby steps and like you're saying, do what you can what's in front of you and then you move to the next one we can't we can't solve all of it and we can't definitely definitely can't solve all of it right now yeah you're right you're definitely right there and oh man this idea of like making complex things simple right because you know sometimes yeah. when you're you know the, the technical people the people in the back end like we speak our jargon we we work in our jargon um yeah <laughs> A really good example someone, one of my students shared with me was like, we talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence and how it's great and how we should all be um, going on to this, you know, AI revolution. And But we never really, when we're talking to the government, we're not expressing how will that improve healthcare? How will that, you know, result in better uh, and cleaner water for people? Yeah, so we're just talking in our own terms that, you know, government people don't necessarily understand. Yeah. Yeah, what's the bottom line or like what's the yeah. impact factor? And that's something that everyone can understand. And then from the impact factor, kind of like build the case up. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Smart, smart students that you work with. Well, I'm like, absolutely. Like my students, they've been the highlight of my experience. Just I think from them, I've learned that just give someone a few resources, some education, mm-hmm. and they will really surprise you in what they will do, especially where independent learning is concerned. No, that's amazing. That's absolutely right. A little bit with just, you know, people with the right passion and, you know, skill set can go so far. Or even without the skill set, just that passion, I think, is mm-hmm. enough to start people to be willing to learn and do more with that. Um, and that's 
absolutely like a delight as well. And that's kind of why I started Utano Public Health Chats, to be honest, is like just, you know, sharing of knowledge, sharing of information, making people aware of the things and the opportunities that they could also take, especially if it's something mm-hmm. that they, you know, are inclined to or might care about. So yeah. this has been so much fun. And I guess maybe um, to wrap up, if you have anything in particular, I know you already mentioned, I think you were dropping gems already through the throughout the episode talking about like the different countries that offer the programs and things like that. But is there anything specific that you want to plug or share? When are these internship applications due? Um, like things like that, that you'd want to highlight for people to follow up on. Perfect. So um, I would say, I highly recommend that people sign up for the emails or newsletters from all the public health um, institutes. So worldwide, um, I think they share a lot of information on internships with their own um, institutes and also various um, institutes as well and different job opportunities or consultancies as well. Highly, highly recommend that it's like one email uh, a week or a month. So it won't get overwhelming. But in general, I think for the RISE internships and design competitions, I highly recommend signing up for the newsletter. They will send out like information whenever there's like, an internship opportunity and like a design competition happening as well oh yeah that's very that's a really good plug yeah and it's like a plug that opens you to like other plugs and that's how you're getting you really have to put like you say it goes back to the taking initiative that you talked about you kind of have to put yourself out there do a little bit of digging a little bit Mm -hmm. you know each day each week each month and that's will hopefully like you know, land you to kind of like find the things that you care about or are passionate about. And that's definitely been something that's been helpful in my career as well. So thank you. For yeah, that. especially for people who are interested in grad school, just attending mm-hmm. like Zoom talks by, by professors, because a lot of these talks are online. And, you know, once you approach them like, hey, I listened to your Zoom talk on XYZ, it really sets you out. Like it makes you stand out. It's like mm-hmm. this person is really interested in my work. Um, They're just not approaching me for the sake of a, a degree program. So I really mm-hmm. like taking initiative is is, is a game changer absolutely you are right yes you need to learn those networking skills <laughs> <laughs> yeah so thanks for that no but it's been it's been so good having you will i i feel like i keep telling people like i, I people get to listen to uh my podcast episodes but really i'm just doing this for me guys like I was, you know, we were just talking with the health economist today. I feel like I am a bioengineer 101. (laughs) (laughs) All my basic skills. You can't tell me anything at this point. (laughs) I'm just learning as I go. But really, I've just been learning so much from all my amazing, amazing guests. And um, you've just kind of like added to that bucket of knowledge. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, and if people want to connect with you, we'll definitely uh, put links and stuff to like the work you're doing as well when it gets published. Yeah, thank you so much. And this has been Utano Public Health Chats with your host Fiona. And today we were hosting Will Moyo.